Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to believe. Give us minds to understand. And give us the will to obey. I thank you for it in Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. Amen. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus makes this powerful statement. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you hear the power of that statement? Upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is the only church builder. Jesus is the only church planter. Jesus builds the church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'll tell you what, the church that Jesus builds, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. There is nothing that can stop the church that Jesus is building. Nothing can stand against it. It is unstoppable. It's an unstoppable force. And it's also an immovable object. Do you know that? That we are both an unstoppable force and an immovable object. But there's one condition. You got to join his church. You got to join the church. And this morning, I want to exhort you to join the church. You see, the problem with most churches is that there's people who have joined the church, but they haven't joined the church. They've joined the local church by going through the membership process and writing their name on a list, but they haven't joined the church that Jesus is building, the one that the gates of hell do not prevail against. And I dare say in probably most churches, there's only a handful of people or a small percentage who have actually fully joined the church. Now, I don't mean this to say that most folks who are in most churches are not saved. You can actually be saved, but not have fully joined the church. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But when you want to understand the church that Jesus is building, you have to go to the book of Acts chapter 2. And in the book of Acts chapter 2, you had these 12 disciples plus, well, it was 11 disciples and then 109 other people. There was 120 of them gathered in an upper room for 10 days At the end of that 10-day prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit came, filled the room where they were assembled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were gathered in Jerusalem at that time, people from every nation under heaven, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Smyrnians and dwellers of Mesopotamia and so forth. And they heard this commotion in the upper room. They said, what's going on in there? Some people said, these people are crazy. Other people said, these people are drunk with new wine. Peter stood up from among the eleven. 
the Holy Spirit came on him. And he preached that first Pentecost sermon. Men and brethren, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 a.m. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days said he, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will... Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams and upon my servants and my handmaidens will I pour out my spirit in those days and they'll prophesy. And Peter preaches this whole sermon about Jesus, the stone that the builders rejected who had become the chief cornerstone. He preached Jesus who had been taken with lawless hands and crucified by being nailed to a tree, but that God had raised him from the dead and sat him at his right hand and made him both Lord and Christ. And he declared that there's no other name by which it is necessary that you be saved, but by the name of Jesus. When he'd said these things, they were cut to the heart. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises unto you and to your children, to as many or as afar off, to as many as the Lord your God shall call. So now they, they settled the salvation question. But the salvation question and the church question were two different questions. Because after that it says, and with many more words, he exhorted them saying, save yourselves from this perverse generation. And it says, those who gladly received his word joined themselves to them. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 were added to the church. So there was a huge multitude who heard the word, accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and were baptized. But 3,000 of them joined them. 3,000 of them went beyond the initial salvation experience and baptism experience. See, what I've discovered is that not everybody who gets baptized at the church actually joins the church. There's a lot of folks who get baptized and go on their merry way, believing in Jesus, but not becoming a part of the church. So I want to talk this morning about what it meant for them to join them. 3,000 souls were added to their number that day. It goes on to say at the end of that passage there, at the end of the second chapter of Acts, that the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Meaning people were not just being saved, but being added to their numbers, added to the church. The phenomenon in the early church was not just that people were being saved, but that people were actually joining the church. And Acts 2.42 explains what it meant In Acts 2.41, it said, those who gladly received their message joined them, and 3,000 souls were added to their number that day. Then Acts 2.42 explains what that means. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves... To four things. That's what it meant to join the church. To devote yourself to all four of these things. Now the average member of the average church might be devoted to one or two. But rarely do you find a believer who's devoted to all four. 
But yet, to join the church means to devote yourself to all four. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here's what it meant to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. When the apostles are teaching, I will be present. That's number one. But secondly, I will be more than present. I will be attentive. Why will I be attentive? Because I got to learn this. I got to get this. Because this is my inheritance. I have to reproduce this. And then the fellowship. The word fellowship means joint ownership. Later it says they met together daily in the temple courts and then from house to house. The apostles' teaching happened in the temple courts. The fellowship happened from house to house. They had large group meetings and small group meetings. And the purpose of the small group meetings, the word fellowship, koinonia, means joint ownership. It was the time when they got together to help one another fully possess and understand and apply the teaching that they received in the temple courts. So the small group devoting themselves to the fellowship in the small group was how they personalized and individualized the teaching that happened in the large group. In the temple courts, you couldn't stop and ask questions. But from house to house, you can sit with some more mature believers and ask some questions and get your questions answered. And if somebody in your little house didn't have the answer, you'd go to another house and ask some more questions. Find somebody in another small group who understood the answers to your questions. Joint ownership. We're all going to possess this together. This is not just the teaching of the apostles. This is the truth that belongs to us. The apostles devoted themselves to the teaching of Jesus. They're giving us what they received from him. Which means that everything they received from Jesus belongs to us. And we are going to get it by God. That's that devotion. But then they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Which we misunderstand to mean getting together for lunch at Chick-fil-A. Because whenever we say, let's break some bread, what we mean is, we going to eat. We We actually don't understand what the breaking of bread actually was. Remember... What is it around Matthew 14 where it says the scripture says Jesus went to a solitary place because he was tired? And then it said he took his disciples to a solitary place. A secret place was what it meant. But it said when the multitudes heard this, they went to him at the secret place. How did they know where Jesus' secret place was? He let them, he had to have dropped some hints and let some people know where he was going before he went. Jesus, you never find Jesus in a secret place where nobody knew where he went. This is the principle. If you seek him, you'll find him when you search for him with all of your heart. The multitude said, we're going to go seek him in the secret place. We're going to go find him in the secret place. And they followed Jesus to a secret place. And it said, when he saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep like without a shepherd. And he began to heal their sick. And he began to teach. And after three days, the disciples come to him and say, Lord, it's so late. Send them away into the villages so they can find some food to eat. Jesus says, no, they don't need to go. You give them something to eat. They said, we don't have any food. All we got is a little boy's lunch. He said, bring it to me. Tell the people to sit down. And then what did Jesus do? He took the little boy's lunch. 
He blessed it. And then he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples and said, go feed the people. The breaking of bread was what the disciples had to do to feed the people. The breaking of bread was not the disciples sitting down consuming food together. The breaking of bread was the disciples being scattered amongst the people, breaking off bread to feed the people. When it says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, it means they devoted themselves to the ministry. They devoted themselves to serving the body. And the whole time the disciples are scared because they're hungry too. They're breaking off bread and they're thinking, pretty soon there's not going to be any bread left for me. And the miracle would have stopped the moment the disciple, any one of the disciples ate what was in his hand. The miracle would have ended. But as the disciples kept giving, kept giving, I'm so close to burnout because I've only got a little piece left. Break it off and give a piece. Hey, look, it's restored. But I'm living on the edge of burnout. Isn't it funny that you can feed about 4,000 more people with that little piece of bread in your hand? And God's not going to leave me anything left. That's the fear. I've only got a little piece left, church. Jesus says, well, keep breaking it off and giving it away and watch me multiply what's in your hand. I can only multiply what's in your hand if you're willing to break it off and give it away. And it wasn't until all 12 disciples had given away everything that was in their hand and it seemed that the miracle had stopped and that God had left them with nothing. They all come back to Jesus empty-handed and Jesus is holding baskets. And he gives them each a basket, 12 disciples, 12 baskets, and says, now go look for what's left over. And what did they find? 12 baskets full. How many disciples? They ended up with the feast. Why? Because they were willing to serve, even in their exhaustion, in their emptiness, in their starvation. In their tiredness, they were willing to take the little piece in their hand and break it off, multiply it, and give it to people. And God multiplied what was in their hand because they were willing to serve. So when they devoted themselves to the, to the teaching, through the teaching they received nourishment. When they devoted themselves to the fellowship Through the fellowship, they receive nurture. Can you imagine a baby that gets nourished but not nurtured? You have a baby, just feed them well, but don't hug them. Feed them well, but don't carry them around. Don't burp them. Don't look in their eyes and smile. A baby that is nourished but not nurtured will die. How about nurture them but don't nourish them? Just hug them and play with them and laugh and laugh and smile, but don't give them anything to eat. They'll die. You need both nourishment and nurture. I don't need the Sunday morning service. I just need my small group. You'll die. I don't need my small group. I just need to hear the teaching. You'll die. 
And what ends up happening is if you forsake nurture because you're getting the nourishment, eventually you feel isolated, you feel cut off, you feel alone and disconnected from the house, and it's everybody else's fault. Nobody cares about me in this church. I read a testimony of a pastor. He said he heard that that somebody who had attended his church was sickened in the hospital and had been there for 13 days and nobody had visited him. And so he rushed over to the hospital to see him. And the man said, finally, somebody came to see me. Nobody ever, nobody came to see me. I've been here for 13 days and nobody in this church cared about me. And the pastor said, oh, wow, what happened to your small group? He said, I'm not in a small group. (laughs) And he said, okay, well, who do you deeply connect with in the Sunday morning services? I just watched the services online. I listened to him later. He says, so wait a minute. Do you have any connections or any relationships in the church? He goes, no. He goes, then it's your fault that you've been here alone for the last 13 days. Because no, how's anybody supposed to know who you are when you don't connect with anybody? The Bible says to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. So through the teaching, you receive nourishment. Through the fellowship, you receive nurture. But through the breaking of bread, which is service, you activate your nature. And your nature is your unique constellation of gifts, skills, passions, and capacities. Now, what happens if you get nourishment and nurture but never get to activate your nature. Through the activation of your nature, you acquire a sense of significance. There's a a component of significance that every member of every local church should have. And that significance means, here's what I am able to do for the body that no one else can do but me. This is my contribution to the body That is specific and unique to me. Do you realize that when God set you in the house, there is a specific constellation of gifts and skills and passions and capacities that are unique to you and only you. And only you can give it to the house. And when you begin to function in the way that God has ordained for you to function, there is a level of significance that comes from that. And I know that word significance, it might not sound right, like, well, I need to be significant in this house. It's, signif- it's, it's wrong, it's the flesh, if I feel like I need to be significant above everyone else. But when I understand that every single one of us has significance in the house, every single one of us, <laughs> you know, my, my, dad, um, my, my, my dad has three sons and one daughter, and I've told this story before, but all four of us are different. So all three of the sons are in ministry. But my dad has a unique relationship with each of us. And there are unique things that he calls upon each of us to do. Because we have unique gifts. There's some stuff that he won't even let me do. (laughs) Because he knows I'm no good at it. Like sometimes I'll say, Dad, why don't you let me mow your lawn? He goes, no, 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 the gardener's coming over on Saturday. Don't worry. Don't worry about that. And then Charles will call me and say, Dad called me and told me to come up here and mow his lawn. Can you go mow his lawn? 
I was there last Monday, and Dad said, okay, son. He brought up the toolbox. He says, I need you to install this thing under your mother's desk, this thing that comes down and holds her keyboard and, and screw it up into the desk, you know? I started sweating bullets. I said, oh, Lord, you need me to install something? <laughs> well, one brother lives in Alabama. The other one lives in D.C., so I guess it falls to me. Now, I got the job done, but through many dangerous toils and snares. I mean, I'm under the desk screwing stuff, and stuff's falling into my eyes that I can't see. Scratched my cornea. I tried to get up and scrape my head on the back of the desk. And then I tried to test it, but I only put two screws in and ripped the two and tore big chunks out of the desk under there. It was, it was, I'm still healing physically. Now, if dad's in a pinch, I can get something done for him. If something needs to be done, that's like handy, I can kind of do it. It's not going to be perfect, but I'll do the best I can to get it done. But if there's any chance that Josh or Charles is coming to town, it's better to wait for them. If something needed to be fixed in the house, Josh was the fixer. If something needed to be reorganized, if all the furniture in the house needed to be reorganized in the house and there was logistics issues, Charles was the logistics man. And if somebody in the house needed a teaching, <laughs> if you just needed somebody to be present and listen, <laughs> if somebody, you needed a piano player for a worship service, When you understand that we are a family, that we are a body, you understand that your non-gifts are just as significant as your gifts. Which means, thank God that there's stuff I can't do. Because that means there's somebody else who can do them. And I simply need to keep my eyes open and look and see who is God raising up, who is gifted. But if, but if Charles and Josh lived around the corner but they simply refused to come help dad or mom. Now all of a sudden, I'm under the desk screwing stuff every week. And the house is, all the furniture is crooked. <laughs> Stuff's not installed right, it's backwards. <laughs> I can barely install Ikea furniture. You know, Sonny and I got married, we bought all this Ikea furniture, and I had the, the drawers on the wrong side, turned inside out and upside down, and, you know, had to unscrew it all and start over from the very beginning. That's not my gift. I'm not a handyman. I am not a handyman. My wife would still say, do you think you can fix? Nope. <laughs> I can't fix it. I can't do it. But thank God I can't do it. Because there's some folks who can but we all got to be willing to take the piece of bread that Jesus gave us yeah, yeah, yeah. and break it and give it Amen. and break it and give it. They devoted themselves to that. All 3000 of them. And yet there was no formal process for mobilizing all 3000 of these people. There was no formal process for having small groups. Isn't that funny? Like immediately, Small hundred thousand, maybe, maybe several, seven, eight hundred small groups formed immediately and nobody formed them. They didn't have a website 
You want to join a, we- a small group? Go to lineage.us slash small groups because there are some community groups and put in your information here and then we'll put you in a small group. And then we got to deal with the fact that you don't like the folks in the small group that we put you in. And now we got to have, you know, 10 people back in the office trying to help you find another small group. No, just devote yourself to the fellowship. Devoting yourself to the fellowship means I'm going to find some folks and get in a small group. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and talk to some folks and say, hey, do you have a small group? I don't have a small group. Would you like to be my small group? Kids do it, right? You see little kids, you put two kids in a room that don't know each other, that are young enough. You want to be my friend? Yes, I'd like to be your friend. That's how, that's, how did we lose the ability to do that? Because we're adults. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? A five-year-old, five-year-olds can do that, but for some reason we become adults and I'm just too shy. I'm just too shy. But when you're devoted to the fellowship, it has nothing to do with your temperament. It means that, listen, devotion is self-perpetuated. Devotion is self-perpetuated commitment. Self-perpetuated commitment means I don't need anybody standing over me to tell me to do it. And I don't need any formal process to facilitate it. Self-perpetuated commitment means I will find a way. I will find a way and make this happen. You know what I think is one of the most beautiful things? Those of you who brought your small children here. And especially those of you who brought your babies here. Let me tell you why it's so important. Because what tends to happen is we have small children and we know that it's going to be a nightmare getting them to church. Packing up, dealing with spit up, changing diapers, figuring out sleep schedules. They're going to start crying and disrupt. And then I'm going to feel like, oh, no, my child is disrupting what's going on. And so we say we're just going to stay home until they get to a certain age. Not realizing that they're not going to value what you valued because you didn't take them. If you don't take them to church from the time they're small, they don't value church. And then by the time they're five, six years old and they're old, okay, now it's time to go to church. They don't value church and you wonder why they don't want to go because you didn't take them. You didn't teach them to value it from the time they were young. We were reminiscing about how when Alethea was an infant and Sonny would just bring her to the office. She, she grew up in the church. That uh, 45, 50 cent Pablo Avenue, she was there every day. We would have all-night prayer meetings. We'd bring her son. We'd, we'd put up a little tent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Put, put her inside the tent. She's a toddler. She can play in there. And, you know, and you know what happened? She learned to value yeah. the church yeah. from a young age. Yeah. When we lost that building at 4550 San Pablo Avenue, I remember I told her, I said, baby girl, today's our last day here. We have to move out of here. The look of distress on her face. She goes, Why? I said, well, this, this property was bought by a school, and they're not renewing our lease, so we have to go. And she goes, but this is a great place. And then she just started bawling and crying. And I said, don't worry, baby girl, we'll find another place. And she goes, well, what's the church going to be called when we, in the other place? I said, no, it's the same. It's Living Hope. No, she goes, no, this is Living Hope Christian Center. 
This is Living Hope. What's it going to be called? I said, no, baby, we are Living Hope Christian Center. <laughs> Wherever we go, Living Hope goes. And she goes, oh, okay. But she valued it. Yeah. It was so important to her. She wept when we left that space. This is how you train your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And then lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. You haven't joined the church till you join the prayer meeting. You haven't joined the church yet. You might have gone through the membership process, but you haven't joined the church till you join the prayer meeting, till you devote yourself to the prayer meeting. You know what's crazy is all through the book of Acts, you see all these prayer meetings, and every one of them is the whole church. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't like, and the, the group of 12 intercessors gathered to pray. No! <laughs> right? I mean, it started in the upper room, a 10-day prayer meeting. Who was there? There were 120 members of the church and 120 people at the prayer meeting yeah. for 10 days. Then the day of Pentecost happened. Then 3,000 are added to the church. Then in Acts 3, Peter and John, they're entering the gate, beautiful, man lame from his mother's womb, healed him. Then they preached to this multitude. Another 4,000 are added to the church. But then Peter and John are taken to jail. And then they had to appear before the Sanhedrin. And what happened in Acts 4, as soon as they got out of jail, what'd they do? They called a prayer meeting. And who showed up for the prayer meeting? The whole church. Why? Because being devoted to the church is not just being devoted to the Sunday. See, most people misunderstand devotion to the church means I'm going to faithfully attend the Sunday morning service. And if I'm really Christian, I'm going to give a tithe. And then maybe if I got a little time, I'll join a small group. And maybe I'll get on like a once every six month ministry rotation. I'll be an usher once every six months. <laughs> but then the small handful of people who have really joined the church are working their brains out. They're on rotation every single Sunday and double rotations every single Sunday without a break in 10 years. <laughs> no Sunday off in 10 years. You know what? Everything would change if just the people in this room and the people who hear this recording just make a decision. I'm going to join the prayer meeting. If there's any one admonition, one takeaway, when I talked about last night, setting your eyes on the harvest, calling the whole church to ministry, and raising up new voices, you know where that all starts? At the prayer meeting. When you, when you talk about setting your eyes on the harvest, remember what Jesus said. So the field is white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. And notice he doesn't go directly from there to say, so I want all of you to commit yourselves to evangelism. Yeah. That was not 
the action, the call to action. The call to action was pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest. The laborers are few because the prayer warriors are few. The labors are few. The harvest does not get reached primarily because nobody shows up to the prayer meeting. Because the, and if you look at the book of Acts, go through the book of Acts and just look at every prayer meeting. Every prayer meeting was a missions prayer meeting. Every prayer meeting was missional. The prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John got out of jail and they came back and they reported to their brethren everything that the chief priests and elders had said, and what did they do? They lifted up their voice. When they heard this, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Yeah. They prayed. Yeah. And what did they say? Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who through the mouth of your servant David have said, Why do the nations rage and the kingdoms imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, truly against your So first they acknowledge this is a, a direct assault against the lordship of your son Jesus. It said, we got persecuted because we are lifting up the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, this is a direct assault against the lordship of your son, Jesus. And then they prayed, now, Lord, behold their threats and grant to your servants boldness to proclaim your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and let signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What did they pray? Let there be more salvations and let there be more miracles and let there be more signs and wonders. Let the evidence be more clear that Jesus is Lord. Let the Lordship of Jesus be proclaimed in an even greater way. Lord, silence those threats, God, and the opposition and the hindrance that want to stop us from reaching the harvest for Jesus. They prayed for the advancement of the gospel in their region. And that was the purpose of their prayer meeting. That was the purpose of the prayer meeting in Acts chapter 11 or Acts chapter 13 in Antioch where there were certain prophets and teachers in Antioch. And it said, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, they were in a season of fasting and prayer asking God to reach their region. And, God, and the Holy Spirit spoke in the middle of that prayer meeting and said, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. Do you know why we don't see more people get mobilized for ministry? It's because not enough people come to the prayer meeting and there's nobody there when the Holy Spirit says, separates Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. Yeah. you got to be at the prayer meeting to hear the prophetic word. Yeah. There, is a, there is a burning bush moment for you, but you miss it because you never come to the prayer meeting. So today, my admonition is, join the church. This is how you set your eyes on the harvest. Because listen, a church that is not committed to the church does not reach the harvest. It is not about an evangelistic strategy. It's about a body of believers that are committed to what the church is exists for and the church exists not just for the edification of its members but to be a gospel beacon and a light to the nations I remember there was a season in which uh, 
there was um, a very low level of commitment among the members of the worship team. And we were praying about how to change that. And I remember um, we put together these rules, like if you want to join the worship team, here's the list of songs you got to learn before you even show up to audition, and then you're going to audition these songs, and then for the first three months, you're just going to help set up and break down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then you're going to do a rotation on the sound team, and then maybe you can stand on the platform. And so there was a young lady who had just joined our church, and she read through that whole process, and she's like, wow, this is serious. And so she learned the songs and practiced and then she showed up for the rehearsal to audition. And uh, the worship leader was there at the rehearsal. But the whole team showed up 45 minutes late. And only half the team showed up to that rehearsal. And you know what she said? I thought this was serious. But I guess not. You apply that to the whole church. Unbelievers are walking in the door. And a lot of them will walk in the door and look at our lack of participation and say, I guess they're not serious about this. They need to see from the example of our lives that we're serious about this. That we've actually joined the church. First thing I want to say is this is not about condemnation, and I'm not here to put a heavy burden on you. The end of this is not going to be, I need a 20-hour commitment from each of you. No, that's one admonition. Come to Sunday shift. It's just a 15-minute prayer meeting every Sunday morning from 10.15 to 10.30. Join the prayer meeting. That's a start. Join the prayer meeting. I mean, that, do you know how much that would change? You know how much that would change if 1015 was packed out? If we had just as many people at 1015 if we, as we had at 11 o'clock? If the church came together at 1015 and said, for this 15, even if it's just a 15-minute commitment, we're going to come and we're going to seek the face of God together. That it's not just a pre-service prayer meeting for people who signed up to serve that weekend, but it's the church coming together to pray. You know what will happen if you start coming to the prayer meeting at 10.15? At 10.30, there's this 30-minute gap between 10.30 and 11. You know what's going to happen? You're going to find a place to serve. You're going to find something to do. You know what? When you invite somebody over your house and you leave the door open, but you're in the kitchen, and they show up at your house, even though the door is open, do they come in if they've never been there before? When a newcomer comes, they will not enter your house unless somebody's there to welcome them in and tell them it's okay to enter. Do you know when a first-time visitor comes to our house, do you know how hard it is to walk through the doors for the first time with nobody there to welcome them in and to tell them it's okay for you to enter? We're glad you're here. Now, what if you're in the kitchen and you can't stop, but your 14-year-old kid is right over there on the couch watching TV? And they look over and they see your guest at the door. They say, I'm not the mom, I'm not the dad. And they keep watching TV. You know what you're going to do? You're going to go slap the mess out of your little kid. Throw the TV out the window. 
and say, if you are a member of this family, you can welcome someone into the home just like anyone else can welcome someone into the home. Which means if this is your family, it's not just the job of the hospitality team to welcome newcomers into the family when they come in the door. If you see someone come in the door, break out of your clique and go welcome them and greet them and hug them and say, we've been waiting for you. We're thankful for you. changes that's all it is it's not a big thing but little changes but the primary thing that changes in our mind is that we are reactivating the vision the field is white under harvest there is a whole harvest field there in the city of El Cerrito and beyond and our church has never been about a single city we're here to reach the whole Bay Area Nine million people in the Bay Area, only 4% of them believe in Jesus Christ. The field is white unto harvest, which means that the dream for our church must be more than we want to see 300 or 500 or 1,000. No, we want to see 8,567,300. In other words, however many don't know Jesus in the Bay Area, that is our harvest field. But we've got, our hearts have to beat for that. This is why even after 3,000 in one service, 4,000 in another sermon, they got 7,000. The early church should have been like, man, we got 7,000 in the church. This is cool. No, this entire region needs to know Jesus. It's not about how many people we can get into the church. It's about how many people still need to know Jesus. How many people still need the gospel? Set your eyes on the harvest. And call the whole church to ministry. This is what it means to join the ministry. To to join the ministry means to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You devote yourself to all four of those things. You've just joined the ministry. And honestly, at the end of the day, you might not even have to join a regular ministry rotation. You know the kind of ministry I love? The ministry of John Boyles over there. And John Alexander over there. They're like an ad hoc special team. Where there's something that needs to happen. And I called them up. I was like, we need to install these cameras here on the ceiling. And I had this whole vision for it. And they, they were like, we got it. And they showed up. And they spent a whole evening just rigging that thing and making it work. And then a couple months later, I see Boyles and Chad and Ari in the kitchen working on the espresso machine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Trying to rig the thing. It doesn't mean, listen, your particular gift may not be a first and third Sunday rotation on a particular team. But your particular gift might be something that the house doesn't see. And so, you know, John just came to me. He's like, can I work on the espresso machine? I was like, heck yeah, you can work on the espresso machine. (laughs) I love espresso. Come on, somebody. There's two levels of the breaking of bread. The first is called service and the second is called ministry or leadership. Service and lead. Two levels of ministry, sorry. Service and leadership. What's the difference between service and leadership? 
Service is the stuff that we all just have to work together to do. It's non-gift specific. In a family, dishes have to be washed regardless of your gifts. Remember telling my mother, I'm a prophet to the nation. She said, well, go prophesy to those dishes. <laughs> prophesy as you wash. Thus saith the Lord, be thou clean. <laughs> and it was clean. <laughs> Every word came to pass that you spoke over those dishes. But then leadership is caring specifically for the members of the family. So if one of my brothers were sick and it was my job to care for them, I knew what needed to be cooked. And so I could step into a place of leadership where I saw I can minister to these individuals in this way. Caring for the people. You can step into a place of leadership anytime you see someone who needs care and you know that you have the anointing to offer it. That's leadership. Caring for the people. Serving the needs of the house and caring for the people of the house. When every one of us joins the ministry, we all find a way to serve the needs and care for the people. And when that commitment happens organically, happens, that commitment happens at the individual level, stuff starts happening organically. Because honestly, I'm not that organized. So if you come to me and say, what can I do? I'm going to tell you, go talk to Pastor Chinway. But she don't know either because she's got a million different things. Like I said, she packed for the retreat, planned the retreat, uh, you know, gathered the team for the retreat, showed up at the retreat, set up the retreat, led worship for the retreat. And then, you know what I mean? It's like, and, and meanwhile, 37 people are coming to, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? What do I do with this? Where's this? Where? And I'm coming to her too. Pastor Chinway, what do I do with this? <laughs> but there's an organic nature to it. You know what would be beautiful? If what if in, in our small groups, one person in the group said, I want to go on the mission trip to Indonesia next year. And the rest of the group said, oh, awesome. We're going to raise the money for you. Yeah. And not just after church, where every group's going to fight for the whole, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm talking about on our own. We're, I'm going to do a car wash in my neighborhood to raise $500 for you. I'm going to sell chocolate at my son's school. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mow some lawns. In my, like we're going to come together to find a way to send you to this mission trip. What if, what if three or four of our small groups said, we're going to get together and have a, a, a joint small group, our community group with four of our groups. We're going to bring four groups together and have our own little fellowship. What if in every community group we said, we're going to celebrate one another's birthdays? Right? We're going to throw baby showers for anyone in our group who has a baby. Yeah. You, know what, you know what you're doing? You're being the church. Yes. You're being the church. But if you have a community group and nobody cares about nobody's birthday and nobody helps, there's no helping of one another. There's no coming alongside. One of the most beautiful things I saw was one person in a community group, their parents 
had gotten in a car accident and it was life-threatening. And the whole community group showed up at that person's house. And I got the call that this, this happened and this, these, this person's parents were in critical condition. And they asked if I'd come and pray. And I thought I was going to their home and they'd be alone. I got there, their whole community group was there. Their whole group was there surrounding them. I said, man, I got here and the church was already here. I got here and the church was already here. Because they had joined the church. They were being the church. I love seeing the stuff that Wendy posts about her community group and the stuff that they do. I'm like, they're being the church. They're being the church. It doesn't have to be a series. It doesn't have to be a series. Because listen, when it's self-perpetuated, it's not dependent upon any formalized schedule or structure. It's just us fulfilling our commitment, our devotion to the things that God called us to, our, to devote ourselves to. I don't need anybody to tell me to do it. I mean, because what happens if the church has to go on? Like, what happens if, if the church dies? Are you going to stop being a Christian? What happens if the pastor dies? Are you going to stop? That's, this happens across the world where a man of God is taken out and half the people in the church decide to stop being Christian. Were you devoted to the church or were you devoted to that guy? Were you devoted to Jesus or were you devoted to that person? God never called you to devote yourself to a leader. Devote yourself to Jesus and to his church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if you're a part of the church that Jesus is building, then the gates of hell will not prevail against you. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of what Jesus is building. I want to join what Jesus is building. I want to be a part of that church. And that means I got to get my devotions in place. I got to reactivate my devotions. I'm devoted to the teaching. That's why I meditate on the word of God. And that's why I pray because I'm devoted to the teaching. I, I'm not just going to listen. Even when I listen to the sermons of my spiritual father, when I listen to those sermons, I'm not just listening for information and to glean what I can glean. I'm devoting myself to that teaching. I got to get all of it. And I've got to, and if there's something I don't understand, I got to pray into it until I understand it. I got to do Proverbs chapter two. My son, if thou would receive my words and hide my commands within you, inclining your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest out after knowledge, if thou liftest up thy voice for understanding, if you seek them as silver and search for them as for hid treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, which means sometimes I hear the word, but I don't get the word. So I got to go home and pray into the word. And I got to ask God, give me understanding. Help me to live it. Help me to receive it. I want to own it. It's my inheritance. I receive it God let that word sink deep into my heart so that I can reproduce it and sometimes that word that you receive becomes the piece of bread that you're gonna break off and feed to somebody else and break off and feed to somebody else and break off and feed to somebody else and sometimes God puts you in specific places where he's already given you the word that you need and you got that little piece of bread but you're afraid because, Lord, all I got is this little piece of bread. It's not even enough for me and my family. I've only got a little bit of strength left. I've only got a little bit of wisdom. I've only got a little bit of understanding. And this, the enemy comes and he defeats you in your mind. 
you disqualify yourself in your own mind. I'm not worthy. I'm not able. I'm not capable. Somebody else needs to do it. And you don't realize that at that moment, you are the only Jesus that this person will ever know. You are the Jesus that God placed in the path of this person. Are you willing to break off a little piece of your bread and offer it? Are you willing to break the bread? Are you willing to break the bread? There's that scene, I believe it's Acts 17, where Paul is out on the sea, where he's being, no, it's later in, in, in Acts, where he's being taken to Rome and there's a huge storm on the sea and nobody had eaten for about 14 days. And they despaired even of life. It said the sun had not come out for so many days that they despaired even of life. But an angel of the Lord stood at Paul's side and said, don't be afraid. Nobody on this ship is going to die. But everybody's got to stay on the boat. And Paul stood up and he said, the Lord says that nobody's going to die as long as you stay on the boat. And then what did Paul do? He took a piece of bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and then he distributed it and they all ate there was peace why because of the breaking of bread who would have thought that something as simple as breaking a piece of bread could calm storms something as simple as breaking a piece of bread could save the lives of everybody on a ship sometimes it's the little piece of bread in your hand that's all that's needed to bring about the victory that God has in store. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, let every word settle into every heart and overcome my inability to communicate and let clarity reign in every mind and every heart. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that there would be a massive movement among our people to join the prayer meeting, to join the fellowship, to join the church a massive outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon our people. And that as we join the church, that there'd be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's where the Holy Spirit is poured out when we join the church. Let the devotions reign in this house. That we would devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. That we would devote ourselves to the fellowship. That we would devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. That we would devote ourselves to prayer. And may the number who joined themselves to us in the four devotions, may that number increase. May that number increase. God, we're constantly looking for numbers of people outside to come in. But God, you're looking for the people inside to come in. Lord, people outside can't come in until people inside come in. There's too many people on the inside who are still living outside, but God, you're calling the people inside to come in and to come home and to come home. God, I pray that you would do it by your spirit. I pray that you would do it by your power. In Jesus' name.